Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Align with Lina. Here's another episode of this wonderful conversation that we've been doing here for quite a while now. And Align with Lina is about bringing to you ordinary people who, just like me, just like you, are undergoing an extraordinary shift in consciousness. We are waking up. We're aligning with a higher power that is within us. We're doing the work of letting go of our limiting beliefs, the stories and the ideas that we have about ourselves and others that keep us from really activating and aligning with something inside of us that not only is it infinite, but it is the best part of ourselves that we have not been in touch with because, well, we were all trained out of our connection with our true self and all became people pleasers or rule followers or, or boxed into systems and ideas that really truly limited our potential. And not that we haven't gone on to have some wonderful lives, many of us have. However, there is something that is even more magical, something that is even more magnificent that happens when you align with the truth of who you are. And today I'm really excited to have somebody who um, I was introduced to by a friend. Her name is Jen Moff. And Jen and I are going to have a conversation about our journeys. And we're going to learn all about how she came to, to have a peak experience that um, shifted her life in a really powerful way. And then talk about how she is here helping to share this information with the world. So Jen, thank you so much for being here with me. And um, thank you to our audience that is here. Oh my goodness, this is so exciting. Thank you so much, Sharon. Actually, Sharon, you introduced us. So thanks for being part of this conversation. Yeah. And, hey guys, this is very interactive. So post questions or comments as we go through. But Jen, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Been looking it forward is my to this. Pleasure. Good, 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 good. Well, I always like to start the conversation with, tell me, what was the defining moment that had you begin the process of wanting to align with your, your true self? It was a moment in 2011. And it was, it, it's, it, it's not one singular like, bing. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was a lot that happened that year. I got out of an abusive relationship so much there. And then uh, about four, five months later, I found myself in another one. And that was simultaneously when I was graduating college uh, with a degree in communication and PR, thinking I was going to go into like the event coordination business. And um, I had a lot of moments over the course of that year of little like serendipitous things. And we can certainly dig into the specifics of that, but there were, there were a lot of things. And then it wasn't until about September or so that I can remember laying in bed and just, just having this epiphany, like that everything was real and all the stuff that I had kind of avoided spiritually and abandoned in my own practice had basically conspired to bring me to this moment. How old were you in 2011? I was poop. How old was I? <laughs> I'm, I'll be 37 now and it's 2019. So math, uh, nine <laughs> years ago, I was 28. I was 28. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, so young uh, in your 20s to begin to have this experience. So what what were you beginning to really discover? You said getting more in touch with your spirituality. Tell me, yeah. what, what was that about? So during that year, um, I was involved intimately with that second individual and they were very, very spiritual, not in kind of like the esoteric sense, but um, had a major very um, open relationship with, with Jesus. And they kind of confused me by this because I was like, how can you be so okay with like going and doing all these dirty things sexually and like go and do these other things on the weekend, praising his name and all of this stuff. And so it, it confused me a great deal. So I went to books a million and grabbed as many things as I could find in the spirituality, sexuality section, but I couldn't find anything that talked about what to do if you've already been intimate in some way with somebody. Um, it was all just, you need to wait, you need to wait. And um, 
I, I was like, there is nothing here that is helping me. And I turned a corner and saw out of the peripheral vision, a book from years ago. As I mentioned in early 2011, I was getting out of an, a, another abusive relationship. And while we were together, he, he expressed some interest in different kind of philosophies. And my mom found this book and mailed it to him. And when it arrived, I said, my mom ordered this book for you. And he opens it and he looks and he says, she didn't order this for me. And I was like, yeah, yes, she did. She told me so. And he said, he's looking at it and he reads the back and sets it down and says, uh, you're wrong. She didn't order this for me. She had to have ordered this for you. And it was, it was a debate and it just sat on the shelf and neither of us touched it. That was the book I saw in Books a Million that day. Okay. And so I picked it up and I turned the back over. I had never read it or looked at it or anything um, when it was in our possession. On the back cover, I read through it and I instantly felt like this wash over me of... <laughs> Oh, kind of like vibrating. <laughs> yeah. And I, I instantly got a little emotional and I was, I was very like easily brought to tears around this time because so much was just kind of triggering little feelings. And I thought he was right. She did buy this for me, but not back mm -hmm. then for now. And yeah. so I, I bought it and I read it over the course of maybe two weeks it was Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz. Mm. And I've heard of that one. Um, the, the subtitle is something to the effect of thoughts on spirituality without a religious perspective kind of. Okay. okay. And uh, it was written memoir style of his own journey. And it touched me a great deal. And that set me off on like, let me research. Let me find everything and anything that I can. And I'd stepped away from like the trying to reconcile the sexuality and the spirituality piece at that time. Um, I read more of his books. I read another author's uh, work by the name of Rob Bell. Um, mm -hmm. I like Rob's work. Yes. So, so much good stuff from him. Um, and that September, after I'd finished a lot of those books, I was laying in bed and crying and I hadn't prayed in years. I grew up um, in the Lutheran church, went every Sunday, was big in our youth group and gave the sermon on, on youth Sunday, like was very involved. Um, even in the services, I was an acolyte and a crucifer and a, a reader and all those lay roles. And um, I had abandoned it after I went to college when I was 18. So this was a good decade after that that I'm all of a sudden praying again for the first time in bed. I was reading uh, in the book of John in the Bible, and I don't remember at all what the verses were that I was reading, but just something hit me. And I was like, instantly just had this realization of this is, this is very real. This is very, very real. And it freaked me the hell out. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, my research obviously has continued. That was, you know, eight years ago and my perspectives have shifted, you know, as we learn new things, certainly, but, um, that, that was the kicker. That fall. 20, 2011 was a time that, that we could say there was a, a pre that life that you had, and then something shifts, you go through that process and then, yeah. then life really changes. So give me a couple of details about, you before that shift mm -hmm. to paint the picture about what were your perspectives about life? What was your, your idea about life? And then tell me those few things and how they shifted uh, after you began to expand your awareness, you began to expand your consciousness. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, that instantly comes to mind when you asked me that is um, about my emotions and my reactivity. So I don't remember what year it was, but one, you know, relationships are not all good or all bad. And that's also true for abusive ones. You know, even in my case, it wasn't physical, it was emotional and psychological and sexual. So I had good moments. There was, there was times of peace and, and positivity. And one of those was when he introduced me to a movie uh, called What the Bleep Do We Know? And I, at that moment, had this realization after watching this that I was in 
a position of personal power that I had never experienced before. Um, and I was in um, originally a very emotional drama queen kind of gal. I definitely had that nickname. I, I certainly was involved in theater and I acted professionally uh, for a time. And I love that. I love the performance piece, but a lot of the work in doing that required me to be very in touch with the emotions, keeping them like kind of right here. And so I would pop off very easily. <laughs> and after, after, you know, 2011, I became very aware of observing the things happening and not engaging with them and not seeing them as in control or the leader, or this is what I'm feeling. So I have to express it kind of thing. Um, and navigating that emotional world, that, that was the biggest one first and foremost. Um, that's huge. That's huge, huge, huge. Absolutely. Uh, the second one I would say, and probably the, the actually there's three big ones after that is the perfectionism, people pleasing and imposter syndrome stuff. All three <laughs> of those, like the, the trifecta. I was raised, you know, to not accept help from other people, to do things for yourself and take a lot of pride in that. And while that was was great, it didn't allow me to receive and everything was based off of this kind of, again, performance of, of what right looked like. And I had to learn what it looked like to allow myself to, to receive, to know that it was safe to ask other people for things and to allow them to provide. That, that also happened, uh, the first time that I experienced that was in the summer of 2012, I, I was leaving um, a career that I had worked in for about six years and didn't have any other plans. And before I moved in with my parents, a friend of mine invited me to come to Macon, Georgia, and stay with him uh, and his wife and his daughter for the weekend. And I would never have done something like that previously, <laughs> allowed someone to, to take care of me. Um, and that that was huge. That was huge. Yeah. And that, that is in, incredible. So was there a third one or was that, that, well, that last piece was those three? I would say the first one was the emotional regulation. The second yeah. one was the, the trifecta of the okay. imposter syndrome, people pleasing perfectionism. And then the third one was receiving, receiving myself to receive and ask. Those are three huge, huge pieces because as we move through this journey, what we are learning so much about is that we are energy. It, we're all made of energy and it is energy that is in motion. We come into this human experience as that consciousness that is expressing itself. Um, hey, Sheila. Hey, Dondra. Spence. So good to have you guys with us. Um, but we are this energy that is in motion that comes in to have a physical experience. At least that is how, how I understand it now. Yes. So that energy is meant to be in motion, but when we're little children, that energy gets suppressed and it creates a major commotion. <laughs> it's not in motion anymore. It, it turns <laughs> into these outbursts for some, and it turns into suppression and depression for others. Yes. And so that's really, really important. We have to understand those emotions because those emotions are attached to beliefs that we hold about ourselves. Like you were talking about perfectionism, people pleasing in this imposter syndrome. I, I can say, check, check, check. I had <laughs> experienced all of that. And all of my years of working with, with individual clients, everybody goes through the exact same thing, which is why I love having these conversations because they serve to normalize what we're going through. Because yeah. one of the things that happens on this journey is we feel isolation. We feel like we're the only ones who are discovering oh this thing. And we all have to come out of the spiritual closet at some point and say, yes, I'm going through a spiritual awakening. My spirit is waking up and this is what's blocking it. What's blocking it is these beliefs that that I've got to be per perfect, that I got to please, that I gotta blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And of course, all of those things keep us from receiving because they give us a false sense of self-sufficiency that 
creates a sense of separation, you know, feeds our ego mind into believing that we're separate and different and, and who would want me who special, but special in a, in a way that is so dysfunctional. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you were so clear about those things. Take us into now that you've discovered those things about you. Yeah. Then what was your process? Because it takes quite a while to not only become aware of these these uh, beliefs, be aware of these emotions that are attached to them and become mm-hmm. present to how they operate, how they're linked, how they show up. Because to me, that's the work, the work of becoming self-aware is yeah. we've got to then learn how to manage these things and not be ruled by them. So take us into that part, you doing your work of, yeah. of uh, so aligning with who you are. <laughs> so I would say, over the course of 2011 and then into 2012, um, I really started that process of like, why do people like me? Who am I? Because again, that that second relationship that came in, this person was very different from anybody that I surrounded myself with. And it confused me why they they wanted to be in relationship with me. And so I started asking myself, like, why is, why is this person my friend? Why is that person? Like instantly I went down this like curiosity, introspective self-discovery rabbit hole. And <laughs> I, I couldn't stop just questioning everything. And some people really struggled with being around me during that season. My family, I know, I can remember being in a grocery store and just asking some kind of philosophical thing. And they were just like, Jen, you overthink too much. And they're just like, let's look at the bill. <laughs> and um, I, I say that to point, you know, to direct that point back about feeling isolated. So in early 2012, I had an opportunity to relocate for that job in that company that I'd been with for a long time. And so I moved from Valdosta, Georgia to Waycross, Georgia. And it was an opportunity. It was a lateral-ish move, but a lot more responsibility in many ways. And I, I decided to go for it. Unfortunately, the city just was not my cup of tea and I didn't fit in there. So I had even more time to myself, even more time to read. Um, I can't even tell you the number of books that I read during that season. In addition to Donald Miller and Rob's work, I also uh, was just Googling all sorts of things, blog posts here, there and everywhere I was constantly consuming. And a lot of that time I did just flat out disassociate. Uh, It was really hard for me to be in the world, so to speak. I can remember leaving uh, the job during the day because we would do a lot of what we called grassroots marketing, where I'd take flyers out. And it was so painful for me to take these flyers places. So I, I would sneak back to my apartment and just lay there on the couch and zone out for like two hours. I've done that. I'm, you know, it it was a very hard time. And that's very common. That's very common because when we begin to enter this journey, it's we're opening up Pandora's box and all of this stuff is coming up that we we didn't know how to work with before. And then we're taking in all of this information that hasn't been integrated. So there there are two things happening at once that really take up a lot of our energy and causes us to pull in mm-hmm. and shut shut the world out but also in many cases we we become in in so many ways lethargic it's just just too much the psyche cannot absorb yes. all of that at one time so we do need a lot of time to to integrate but you know, in the old days, people could go to an ashram or go to a monastery, be there for years to do yeah. this work. But we don't have that that luxury today. And I believe that we don't have that luxury today. Actually, my guidance has told me specifically, you don't have that luxury today because we need the planet to wake up. And for you to wake up, you need to be right there in, in the middle of life experiencing those irritations to force us into the recalibration that is necessary. It's like we have to, the spiritual awakening has been put on steroids. Yeah. So 
so keep sharing. I, I love hearing yeah. the details that you're sharing. So you you're going through this period of, of integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daisy, Daisy. Yes, of course you felt the same way, Daisy. Absolutely. You're in good company, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we are here. So um, there was a, a program that this company offered. Um, it was a number of franchises that got acquired and, and bought out my stay on. So this new one, they offered a leadership development program and we read two different books. Uh, one was 21 laws of leadership and the second was seven habits of highly effective people. Oh, yeah. And when we started the first, I remember getting the book, I had purchased it on my own and wanted to like, Oh, I'm going to be leading this new location. I want to learn these things. And then they found out that I was doing that and they were like, oh, we're so impressed. We actually, we've studied this book before. We're actually going to start doing another round of it. And as I'm reading through it, everything resonated with me just like on a deep level. It was just like, somebody understands the things that I care about and think. And the more I learned, the more I read in that book and in Stephen Covey's, the more I knew I cannot work here anymore. And it was very ironic because they were pouring this into me and it wasn't making me want to stay. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave notice and I didn't have any savings, didn't have a plan, didn't have another job lined up. Um, and my parents, although they used to live in Conyers, Georgia, near Atlanta, they had relocated and were now living um, in a retirement community on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So my option was move in with them or stay in this job. And I, I, it was too painful for me at this point. So I decided, all right, I'm going to move into 55 plus community at you know, 29. <laughs> I don't know anybody in this town. Sweet. And uh, I moved in with them in August, September-ish of 2012. Keep in mind, for probably the last year, I'd been doing all the self-discovery work and very confused, very introspective. I was probably crying myself to sleep during that time every single night. Uh, there was a solid year that I can remember I did do that. And it didn't change when I moved in with my parents. Certainly it was nice to kind of be nurtured by, by your mom and your dad at 30 or whatever. But there was a lot of shame associated with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Another day I can remember while I was staying there with them, my mom was very active and did things um, outside of the house. My dad as well. Well, there happened to be one day while my mom was out, but my dad was home and he was sitting out on the back lanai out looking into the the yard and all the trees, listening to the birds. And it was very quiet. And I'd come out and he said, listen, you can't hear anybody. It's like the world's ended and we're all that's left. And it just screwed with my head in the worst way. I just instantly started to get emotional and thought, oh my God, this is it. This is all that's left. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Why am I still here? Ah!" Like I just went off the deep end and, and went back into the room and crawled under the covers and stayed in my depressive bubble. And the rest of the year was was very similar in how I kind of dipped in and out of things. I got out of that relationship and had an opportunity to go to a networking event in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Z- <clears throat> Hello Zelina. Um, and it was somebody that had invited me to it that I used to network with when I lived in, in Gaines, uh, pardon me, in Valdosta, Georgia. So I was like, oh, it'll be nice to do this again. And so I went and I happened to hear this woman speak at this networking event. Uh, she spoke on the, the topic, the power of no, and she was sharing her entrepreneurial journey and all the no's she had to overcome to make her business happen. And get to where she is today. And that certainly wasn't my story, but I started reflecting on all the no's that I've had in my life in a way that I wasn't allowed to do certain things, Uh, people squashing my dreams or not allowing me to say no to them because they were boundary crossers and what that did to my sense of self. And immediately I got this reminder of a moment in the summer of 2012, I was sunbathing And 
I think it was the 4th of July, if memory serves. And I, I have no idea where this came from, but out of nowhere, I'm just laying there, feeling the sun, trying to like get that vitamin D because I was already feeling all yucky and everything. And, and all of a sudden I heard this voice say, you're going to take over Tony Robbins' job. <laughs> and I just flipped my shit. I was like, what, what was that? What was that? Um, and I didn't really know what to do with it. I, I started journaling at that time to help process, but I didn't really know, like, how do you do this? And this is going to be a lot of work. And so I, I didn't really go anywhere with it until that day when I heard this woman speaking on the power of no. And after I left, I was driving home feeling equipped and empowered for the first time in almost two and a half years. Um, not like the pink cloud time period that happens immediately after getting out of the relationship, but like genuine. Yeah. And so I decided right then and there, I'm, I'm going to go for this. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know that what I've learned about myself, about spirituality, about, um, mindfulness, uh, all those things, it wasn't just for my own benefit. Yeah. And I went home, I bought myself some business cards on Vistaprint and uh, purchased a website on GoDaddy and sat there all that weekend and built and didn't really know what was going to come of it. But I just, that was the first effort that I made into like creating a new life for myself. Well, I, I want to touch on this because obviously so rich, so many, so many angles that we could go. But I, what I really want to focus on in here is there is such a clear distinction before we begin to shift our consciousness and after. And one of them is that happens to everybody as we begin to hear inner guidance. So instead of listening to that voice in the head, the voice of the ego that has us be in this perfectionism and what will other people think that people pleasing is all about, I need the outer world to approve of me. And while we're in that space of looking for uh, approval from the outside world, we are in that noise because it's very noisy having to keep up with the outer world um, because it, everything is about what do I need to do to conform to what it is that they want? Mm -hmm. in, in, even though we, we feel a great sense of power, like we're controlling things, really the outer world's controlling us. Yeah. And to make that shift so that we can hear that voice within, that voice that is inspiring us that we don't know where it came from. Um, but to be able to hear that voice, we got to quiet that noise. So th that that's where, to me, those those couple of years, that dark night of the soul that slows us down is when we begin to question those thoughts, when we begin to feel those feelings, where we begin to to dis disarm in many ways that egoic sense of separation. Yeah. And that creates the opening for us to be able to hear that inspiration that comes from. Um, for me, it was it was Jesus. The consciousness spoke to me and it felt like Jesus talking to me. Mm -hmm. And then I've had others, uh, uh, other experiences, but primarily, but that voice is putting you on the path of your true uh, alignment with your true self. And something that's so characteristic is that it's always in service to others. Um, because when I was living my world unconsciously, it was all about what can I get out of this? I got to build my bank account. This is for my pleasure. This is for my family. Me, 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 me. Yeah. <laughs> and then this journey all of a sudden has me, what? I'm going to teach classes and I'm going to speak for free? What the hell is wrong with me? Um, but that voice is is moving us into a level of realizing that giving and receiving are one. As we give of ourselves, as, as we give of our knowledge, mm -hmm. what we're receiving is so much grander than monetary compensation. And I'm hearing that in you. I'm hearing like something was getting activated in you that had you move through through so many things. So now tell us about what are you doing? How are you sharing that with the world? Because you tend to specialize in the, the corporate arena, the, the business arena, the entrepreneurial arena. And how are you bringing consciousness into that realm? I think it's interesting because 
business stereotypically has this kind of vibe around it, what it's for, you know, even with the wave of like conscious capitalism, like, or purposeful work, um, or, you know, using the term leaders instead of managers, there's still kind of an underlying thing that happens. And what motivated me to want to see change in that space is due to a lot of my own professional experience up until, you know, 2013. I've had very abusive bosses um, to no fault of their own. You know, we, we go by the Brene Brown axiom, they're doing the best that they can. That being said, there's there's room for growth there and room for change. And the more I spent time online in 2013, the more I saw like business and learning about entrepreneurship and having to own that label for myself. Um, and I saw this this hustle mentality and I was like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't fit. Um, because it could very easily tip me right back into some of those previous behaviors. Yeah. And when I spent time reflecting on, you know, a lot of the the jobs that I had in the company, companies that I worked for, there was definitely a what can you do for me, not who are you? Mm-hmm. And while I understand that, you know, businesses, you know, have certain qualities to them that require action. Um, so the doing is necessary. I've seen sacrifices be made on character, on caring, on compassion for output. And yeah. I've spent a lot of time researching over the years when that tipping point gets even more um, prominent, similar to uh, some of the things that um, Simon Sinek shares in his TED Talk, Start With Why, that tipping point um, for the law of, of infusion of, inf- of the diffusion of innovation, there's a tipping point for when em- employees feel less cared for, um, yeah. less valued, less nurtured. And in my experience, it happens during extreme growth and um, reorganizations, potentially, as well as when venture capitalism possibly comes into the mix. Because Mm -hmm. all of those things require accountability to someone or something new that might have different values than when the organization or company originally was created. Well, it takes people out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It definitely can activate an opportunity for growth. It it could be an invitation into propelling us into uh, some realization, some self-awareness, but also it can make us, uh, it can paralyze us and and have us retreat um, into the old ways. And, but how, how are you impacting these organizations with your new consciousness? I got very ambitious when I first started and I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to pitch everywhere and I've got these ideas and I can see this. And it did not really get anywhere because, (laughs) you know, with all of kind of like thought leadership, you have to, you know, spend time nurturing that idea and allowing the idea to kind of roll around. And, um, we, we see that with even, um, political ideas and how certain things have to be kind of primed over, over years before they become, Oh, this is acceptable. This is an idea that we all believe in. So I shifted my my approach in going out and like pounding the pavement and trying to convince people like on a one to one level and let me come in and reshape this through consulting or training or coaching and just talking about the ideas more. Um, I did a podcast one day with a woman who works in the IT space and a lot of my my professional background is in, in tech and we have very similar philosophies. So it was showing me that the idea about what it means to take care of your employees for employee engagement um, is starting to change. So that, that was one area that I shifted. And then I also started doing freelance work to be able to make an impact in that space, one-on-one out there on the ground, and also to research for myself to see like, 
what are people actually experiencing? What do people know in just the run of the mill company, ABC doors or something like that? Yeah. You know, and I've, I've found that even the, the places that think that they're progressive really aren't. Case in point, wellness in the workplace. Um, the idea of having a wellness program is not give people standing desks, give them a break room with apples in it and say, oh, part of your benefits package is a membership to this gym. Here you go. We've covered wellness. Great job, us. Like the, you're missing so many layers of what wellness or well-being um, is in a holistic sense. And so there's this idea of how much responsibility is it on the company when they're not a parent, they're not a coach or something to instill this in a, an employee, but they also want to be competitive in the marketplace and be, you know, the well sought after company for people to want to work. So that that's a way to differentiate, differentiate in the marketplace and make yourself and your company really stand out. Aside from that, I've realized that a lot of people are trying to make changes in the company. People on lower or mid-level management can see these problems, but there's a stuck point between the idea and execution. And what's happening is people get very tired of not seeing the changes be made. And so they quit and they leave and they say, I can do it better. I'm going to start my own company. So that is where the changes are happening, I'm finding. It's that the people that are, are bought into this, to use a corporate jargony term, um, they won't stay if they don't see places align with their values now. And more and more companies are being created a lot by women that want to see these changes happen, not just in themselves, not just in their friend groups, not just at their home and their familial relationships, but in where they serve and give their time and, and make a paycheck, frankly. Yeah, let, let's correlate that with the, the personal spiritual awakening, because as within, so without. Once you begin to change internally, once you begin to realize that you're worthy of having what you want, of aligning with with your own desires, of having them met. Yes. You want that in the workplace. We, we spend 40, 50 hours of our time, 60 hours if you include commute, in, in, in a work environment, yeah. in a work-related mode. And one of the things that is really fascinating is, like you were saying, you know, you're going through your awakening, I'm going through my awakening, but the people that we were in relationship before that, they don't understand what we're doing. They want to talk about the shallow stuff because if you don't go deep, you don't understand. You're afraid of depths. Yep. You don't want to dive down. So that's what I'm seeing so much uh, of in the corporate world is that the old patriarchal way was very shallow. It was strictly about profits and it was about what can I get? The awakening that primarily is women. Women are leading the movement, the feminine energy that is, yes. is awakening is taking us out of the I am woman, hear me roar to know I am woman and I deserve to be heard. It's not about hear me roar and I'm going to roar until I get your attention. It's like, yeah. no, if you if you don't want to hear what I have to say, I'll take it somewhere else. Because the days of people pleasing come to an end when we wake up. It's no more about pleasing somebody else because of what you said earlier. You begin to hear this intuition that is guiding you. And that voice, when we hear it, is so certain, so clear, so crisp, that to not listen to that feels like a death. Yes. And we yes. don't want to die inside. We don't want to die inside again. We were already dead um, when we were operating from our ego mind because we began to suppress our, our, our vitality. Yeah. And enter into that that conveyor belt of, of production, just just producing, producing, producing to make money to consume, consume, consume. Um, so let's talk about what you're watching, what you're observing with these people that if especially these women, if you're not getting an opportunity to revamp the company that you're in, you're going to go make a company that you will you will give your all to that chances are is going to thrive because 
what's propelling the formation of the new is the very energy, in my opinion, that is dismantling the energy of the old. So the old is going to collapse as our egoic sense of separate self collapses. There is an emergence of this new um, this new sense of self that is our higher self. It's our soul spirit. And it is always in service to humanity. Again, like we said earlier, not giving to get, but giving because that's how we receive the the infused continuation of inspiration that comes when you're delivering, when you're giving, because it's in service to the greater good of humanity. Yes. So talk about how you're seeing that and and what do you do to inspire um, in, in that area where, where people are willing to hear of another way? What I find is for me, for me, um, what I originally wanted to do has, has been challenging. So I've had to kind of play with what can I do? And a lot of it is one-on-one conversation. Um, for example, I was doing a training the other day for a company, maybe a hundred employees. Um, and afterward I ended up sitting and speaking with one person who was very animated and excited and happy and engaged that I was there. And what was interesting was when we spoke alone, she was very vulnerable and transparent because I created this relationship ahead of time to show her that, you know, I'm, I'm a place where you, you can be that, where you can be seen and be heard. And that is really the kicker for, I'd say like, what allows people to springboard off of just being up here and being very cognitive and in their head um, and disassociating about their reality, but having somebody witness you and say me too. And I agree that enough permission giving is very empowering for people. So that that's an area that I found has been very transformative and I do very well. So uh, it's not necessarily about being strategic, but trusting that inner guidance and that energy that says, oh, you, you need to kind of pay attention over here or, you know, give some time and energy over here to this person or that person or whatever it is. And just following those intuitive nudges um, for those relationships and those conversations. Aside from that, I love having more conversations um, about what is possible. And I mentioned before about this woman that I spoke with on the IT podcast, and she made a really great point that the patriarchal model, and I'm paraphrasing in my own language, uh, of business infantilizes its employees. It does. It does. Me, father, you, child, I know better, you don't. Yes. Completely. Completely. And go ahead, please. No, no, I, I was going to ask you to, to speak more on that. How are, how are we going to shift that? In, in my opinion, and I think it's a pretty good one, <laughs> it's, it's really about providing an opportunity. And what that looks like tangibly to me is creating less barriers to pursuing desire. And I love that you had started to mention earlier in the conversation about like stripping away things before desire can really take hold. Cause that was absolutely the case for me. I had no idea what I even wanted, what I liked, um, partially because of that abusive relationship and losing sense of self. But also as a child, you know, my parents came from a different generation and they're very pragmatic, very like you go to a job, you work, you do think they're not entrepreneurial at all. So a lot of it was very fearful for me. And while I appreciate that and understand it, I went through a period of grieving my, my desires and, and thought, you know, they're just squashing my dreams. So I had no idea what I even wanted anymore. I think it was 2015 when my word of the year was desire Mm -hmm. and just being able to tap back into it and allow yourself to, to dream again and be in community with other people who are following their intuition and creating. And that, that brings me to a sub point 
there's a stigma around artistry and artists and this idea that, oh, only if you make music, only if you paint, only if you, only, only, only if do you fall into this role of like artist or creative. And I can't stand that because we're all creatives. Yeah. We were designed to do that, whether it's creating a life inside of us that's fulfilling for some people um, or others that create things like a meditation album that I did, for example, you know, you birth things, you bring forth ideas and allow them to be in a service, allow them to be in service of others. And what I love about creativity is it allows automatically for connection. It does. It does. You know, you're talking about that, that patriarchal, um, you know, becoming more like a parent telling the children what to do. <clears throat> when we were little, yes, we were all artists. We, you give us a crayon, you didn't have to give us a crayon. We, we could take anything. I took my mother's lipstick and created art <laughs> all over my face and all over my sister's faces. Yeah. And it, it didn't take much to create anything. You could take, uh, dirt and add water and you could make mud pies and make mud castles and creativity was completely always present there. But then we move down that conveyor belt of school where we begin to have our creativity be questioned and, and be standardized. And once it begun, it, that creativity becomes standardized, those who paint outside the lines then are no longer artists, mm. you know, totally squashed. That creativity goes away. And I love hearing you say um, that we do need to see everybody as a creative because our creator created us like itself and the creator is creative. So are we. Yes. And we have to own that, um, you know, doing a podcast or this this interview. This is creativity. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of people have saying like Elliot talking about honoring those desires and following those nudges that it is even even in finding things like you said, you lose something that that nudge is a creative nudge because it is a way of doing things other than how we would have done them before. To me, that's what creativity is. Mm -hmm. Something new is being birthed. And it doesn't matter what genre, it doesn't matter how you do it. You know, every, every person who cooks is a creative person. Um, you don't have to go to culinary school to be a creative cook. Yeah. And that, that is so important that we get in touch with that. So how are you bringing more attention to that in, in the workplace? How are you inspiring companies with so that? What I, I love in this, this kind of just piece together in my head, just for, for you for now, um, is this idea that in order to be creative, you have to engage your imagination. Yes. And when we are stifled from engaging in that, it also impacts our ability to empathize. Because empathy requires us to imagine what it's like to put ourselves in another person's shoes. Yeah. So when we don't have access to creativity, we, ought, you know, it then trips over into the imagination space, which then trips over into the empathy space. And when we can't empathize with other people, we've created a disassociation and a disconnect from others, which reinforces the ego mind to say, just focus on yourself. That's all you need to do. Protect. Yeah. Everything else is an other. Yeah. And if we don't see ourselves as connected, we're naturally going to become more competitive in the workplace. Exactly. We're naturally going to look at things from a place of manipulation, power and control. And it, it becomes very toxic. I'd say the majority of companies that exist out there are, are, are toxic. In, in my opinion, and that might be reaching and that might be blasphemous to say, but, you know, based on what I believe to be abusive, I, I read an article just over the weekend, a friend had shared it and it was a woman and the, the article was praising her. This, this woman is a, a founder and CEO, and it was talking about her techniques to hiring the right people for the company. And she said, one of the tricks she uses is to text people that are in the interview process on the weekend to see how quickly they will reply. If they don't reply within three hours on a Saturday or a Sunday as an interviewee, they're out of the running. She said, I think about work all the time. I want people that are doing the same thing. 
Yeah, so that that's clearly uh, a woman who who is uh, in her masculine from her masculine, yeah, yes. her masculine energy. But what you were saying is so key because the 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 way that corporate America has been modeled and it's modeled the way military is modeled the way government is modeled there is the president the ceo the 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 head general and yeah. then there's all those runs down and you've got the masses at the bottom all vying for the very few jobs at the top and that go over anybody's head climb the corporate ladder and step on anybody's back even if you crush it even if you ruin their play the, the game Yes, that kind of energy of 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 survival has made us so toxic, obviously, is what shows up, but it has disconnected us from, like you said, our empathy. So we don't know that we're one. We don't know that we're all we're all made of the same energy. That that's why we're one, because there's only one energy expressing itself in eight bazillion ways. Yeah. And yes, when you go into survival, you cut off the inspiration because survival is that noise in the head, the fears, the voices in the head that drown out the very still, quiet, gentle voice of inspiration. Inspiration is not trying to get anything, it's trying to give. So if we if we don't listen to it, it, it doesn't take it personally, it just keeps giving, it keeps giving, but we can't hear it because it is not assertive. It is not asserting itself into our lives yeah. it is it is something that we have to desire to move through the noise to hear it this is why people go through those those dark nights of the soul because something big has to happen to like you said to pull us to our knees so we want to look for another way i teach um i'm a course in miracles teacher and student nice. it's probably the book that i will study for the rest of my life and and other teachings that have um been channeled that support of course in miracles yes. and it just takes takes uh takes people once you understand the basics of the course in miracles and their other teachings like the course of love like the way of mastery mm -hmm. that take you into those those spaces of mastery but the course in miracles is foundational in helping us understand how we split up how we literally create a separate egoic mind and how that is the block to accessing our soul, our spirit, our 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 true self, yes. the ultimate creative director of all that is. So we are disconnected from our our creativity because, like you said, we stop imagining. We stopped imagining when we were in school and we were looking out the window and the teacher threw the eraser at us or smacked hey. us and said, "Hey, you're not paying attention." Yeah, I'm so self. Look at me. I'm here on the board and, and giving you this incredible information that you need to know. You need to know what you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and oh my gosh, we're shamed into being in our imagination. Oh, I, Susie is daydreaming. Yeah, you're going to grow up in a mountain, not, nothing if you don't apply yourself to these lessons. So, is it fair to say that? these companies that you're working with in many ways you are you're having to retrain them into remembering their true selves their true authentic selves i i don't think that that's far off at all i think the the method of it happening it's a lot slower than i think i had hoped um simply to kind of echo back to what we said before you know, in this online space that you and I are in, it can be very saturated. We hear the same things from a lot of people. All of our uh, our community is similar minded. So we might get jaded to what we already know the truth being. But, you know, it's it's not like this everywhere. And there's behaviors that I see and beliefs that I hear that they're, they're heartbreaking. Um, and you can't force someone to change. No, you, you have the ability to influence from a place of responsibility. You have an opportunity to engage with people and show a different way. And yeah. I modeled. Yeah, it, it's about planting seeds and, you know, inspiring people with, you know, a, a new idea. Um, yeah. that, that's, that's what it comes down to. 
And, you know, that, what is the the phrase, you know, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And, you know, that's how it starts is one candle to the next. So, you know, like a Shakti pot, for example, Mm -hmm. spending time, you know, being in the energy of someone who's already awakened, aligned, activated, um, that that's what it's about. Exactly. We, we have to model it because we, we, we need to become an example of what's possible when, when we shift. That's, that's why it, the Gandhi said we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Yeah. But one of the things that I know for sure in, in, again, working with individuals, and corporations are just made up of individuals. We talk about the government, we talk about corporations, but it's just a bunch of people who are just like you and me, just yeah. they have different titles and they have what appears to be as different roles. Um, but everybody is the same. The only reason we are we are unable to open up to other ideas is because we have a, an incredible fear of facing that we are wrong about our beliefs. This need to be right this need to defend our position is literally life or death to our ego mind. And when we are in in a state of consciousness, that is a lower, because to me, consciousness is, is like a, like a, a a ladder. We Maslow told us that there is a hierarchy of needs. I was thinking about this. Yeah. When we begin to understand that hierarchy and we begin to see that it requires an incredible amount of maturity to be able to say, I don't know it all. And any, any person in their, in their right mind, any person who is aligned with, with a level of, of, consciousness within them that understands that we are one of 8 billion people, that person is very quick to say, I only know what I know. I don't know what you all know. Yeah. And that level of curiosity is inherent in those who are willing to shift and expand and change, even if it means change everything drastically and start over again. But those who are not at that level of, yeah, totally at at that level of consciousness, who don't have that awareness are so afraid of of being wrong. And when somebody goes into resistance, it always tells me, my gosh, I'm dealing with a wounded eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old. I'm dealing with somebody who is operating so fearfully that... I feel that people like you and I who are becoming examples, the greatest example that we can share is being compassionate towards them while they're in the midst of their fears. Because to to antagonize a scared little child is very unloving, is very unkind. And to be able to access your consciousness, your, your intuitive self, we are listening to the kindest part of ourselves. So if we if we try to bully somebody into opening up and hearing the kind part of themselves, we have just reinforce the bully. <laughs> exactly. We've just reinforced again. Totally, totally. So it is, we all have to be the light, the change we want to see in the world. Yes. Um, and, and this, oh, wow, what a beautiful conversation, Jen. So good. How, how do you align? Because you're dealing with all of these these people in the corporate world who are not there yet. How do you stay aligned with your your true source and describe what that true source is that you're aligning to? Uh, um, a lot of it is is boundaries and knowing myself enough to understand like how much can I give of my time, my energy. So, you know, I, I can't do that five days a week, 365. I can't be in that space um, because it, it takes a lot out of me that I can't offset with enough self-care, enough pleasure principles. I just, there's not enough. So I've learned that two, maybe three days a week, that's that's my sweet spot. And even then I have to do a lot of meditation. I have to do a lot of grounding. I have to do a lot of shielding because, you know, the higher we rise on the ladder, the more sensitive we get to things. So I, I can pick up shit. Case in point, I'll tell you a story. I forgot to do any of my prep work, my energy practices before a full day training a week or so ago. It was from 
eight in the morning until 4.30. And I got home. I was in bed by 5.30. I didn't wake up until 6.45 the next morning. That's how much it, it'll take out of you. So I have to do that that prep work. It'll it'll throw me off my game entirely. And as for your second question, I, I like to think about it as my, my higher self. Um, that's the language that I feel really comfortable with. That's what resonates and lands well with me. And a lot, uh, there was definitely a period where I, I also associated, you know, that still small voice with definitely being like, that's the Holy Spirit. That's my intuition. It's one and the same. Yeah. Um, so that, that, those are the terms that I've utilized over the years. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So yes, we all have to develop the practice that aligns us with, with our, our true north. Are, no matter what we call that, um, because we are, we are aligning with that which is kind and gentle and, and compassionate and, and benevolent and creative and, and it's, it's a source of, of what allows us to experience love, joy and peace. And so you call it higher self. Yeah, there's so many names. That's one of the beautiful things on this journey. As we move up those those levels of consciousness, we start off with so many different terms, but then then as you move up, you realize that we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's the so energy of life. It's it totally, it's all leading to the same place. And um it, it is absolutely wonderful to watch people moving down this path. And because when we all align to the truth, mm-hmm. we're all going to be love joy and peace personified we're all going to be creative and nobody's going to be competing we're all going to be collaborating and sharing and what a beautiful place that will be like Mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle wrote about we're going to be creating well we're not going to be creating we are creating a new earth there is a movement that is happening that none of us can stop there is a call back into oneness that is taking place and the light is getting so bright and it's exposing everything unlike itself. It's exposing everything that is that is greedy and selfish and, and at the end of the day that is fearful. Yeah. And us continuing to do our work and, and to be, be willing to be the light as you are and, and be uh, sharing the truth that you know that only makes things better. That's the amazing thing is if people gave this a try, it only makes things better for everybody. That's the truth. That That is the truth. You know, I, I think another common thing that happens, I'm sure you'd agree is, you know, not only do we shed aspects or layers of ourself that no longer, you know, align a lot of the relationships that we have at various points just don't make sense. They don't resonate. So we, we let a lot go. And that that's a normal part of the process. That's something that, you know, like you said, the higher up on the ladder we go, I also find that there's, there's a quickening that happens the further up you go. So probably every three months or so I'm like purging and shedding clothes or ideas, like all sorts of stuff that just doesn't resonate anymore. And the, the, the business side of that how that shows up. I think it's so important for people to be connected to that inner guidance, the North star, the higher self, the intuition, whatever language we want to use, because, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. What we call matter. It. It knows um, what it is. Yeah. The, if you're not following that, you're, you're going to be disappointed. And that if we back that up, it's about developing self-trust, which I think this patriarchal culture in, in corporate America has done a lot to dismantle. I mean, looking again at Maslow's pyramid, of course, we're not going to be able to get everybody to self-actualization if we have them concerned about all the stuff below that, um, the belonging you needs, your, you know, um, can I be able to afford food this month? How can I even worry about my purpose? Uh, you know, exactly, exactly. So, you know, and that's something that we're going, that we're beginning to see is, is actually has been part of the deliberate process of, of understanding how the mind works and keeping people at that level of survival for for so so long and that that's um 
it, we're going to have to face that we have all participated in that because when we let ourselves stay there and don't question and don't push through, we're complicit in perpetuating a system that's not working. So that's why people who break the mold are considered so courageous because, yeah, you got to say, I'm willing to risk um, losing my livelihood. You know, I may not be able to pay the rent, but I cannot not say what I have to say right now. Yeah. But, so do me a favor and tell people how can they find you and uh, we're, we're going to wrap this up, but I want them to uh, know how to reach you and how to connect with you for yeah, whatever absolutely. reason. So if you're interested in any of the work that I'm doing in corporate or um, about the coaching that I offer programs, any of that stuff, you can find that information on magicalmindfulness.com. If you're interested in having me come and um, speak for you or your audience in any way, shape or form, uh, you can access my press and speaking page at thegenmoff.com. And that is the handle I use on all of social media. So you can search Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever it is, whatever your flavor at the Gen Moff, and you can find me. The Gen Moff, T-H-E. You got it. That, I love that. I'm going to put that here um, so it's clear. TheGenMoff.com. Yes, ma'am. Okay, yes, we want to make sure people can find you that way. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. And I thank so you. appreciate the audience. So interactive. Thank you so much, Elliot, for letting us know that we were both fabulous. You are um, fabulous, Elliot. <laughs> exactly. He is fabulous. Actually, Elliot's going to be uh, somebody that I'm going to get to interview in two weeks on the April the 8th because, Ooh, fun. oh my gosh, Elliot has gone through an incredible awakening and he's a amazing poet, fellow student of A Course in Miracles and A Course of Love, the teachings of Jesus. And he'll be with us on April the 8th and Ella Starr will be with us on April the 1st. And that's not an April Fool's joke. She is wonderful. We're going to have a great conversation with Ella. Um, but today we had a great conversation with Jen. Thank you for taking the time to be a part of this. And and we, we are all so magnificent and we're waking up to the truth of that. Isn't that fun? Not an easy process to go through and and painful as hell to go through shedding those limitations, <laughs> getting busting out of that that shell that we built around ourselves to keep us protected that only imprisoned the best part of us. So mm. I'm so glad that you uh, take that message into the corporate world and in your personal life. So thank you for being here here and i adore you sister thank you thank you i'm sure we'll do more fun things together love it Take thank care. you so much for having me this is great my pleasure my pleasure you guys have a wonderful day and remember we truly are all one bye-bye